everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. The drama that I've chosen to discuss this week is a 16-episode drama that was run by OCN and came out in 2017. It is called Save Me, um, but I've also seen it sometimes called Rescue Me. Uh, it is freaking amazing. Like, uh, every single time I think about this drama, I just feel this tug in my heart. I remember how it made me feel when I watched it. It is so deep and dark and it's filmed beautifully, like all natural light. It's gorgeous. And it's so fucking creepy. Like it really, it's about cults and it's about, you know, what it means to be in one or get sucked into one or want to get out. Um, just, it just kind of explores it from all these different angles. Um, so this drama is based on a webcomic, which I've seen a couple like of stills of the art from that, which looks really, really cool, but I haven't read it. Um, and yeah, so this, this review, I'm going to go into like, you know, a discussion about it, like always. Um, and because this is one of my absolute favorite dramas of all time, I want to do, you know, my top 10 reasons why you should love this drama and watch it. Okay, so before I begin um, with my 10 reasons to love this K-drama, I'm just going to warn you guys that I have um, this cat that <laughs> is uh, just in a really manic mood. Um, she's a house cat and at the moment she's thundering up and down the hallway. So if you hear some like just weird stuff in the background, it's probably that. I'm going to just ignore it. So I hope you guys can too and I apologize in advance. So my number one reason to love this Korean drama is the concept itself. So the idea of a cult, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, you know, most people have a very kind of macabre fascination with things like this, with, you know, I mean, this is why true crime fiction is so, or true crime, sorry, like, you know, true crime podcasts and things like that is so popular at the moment because people want to understand how it is that these kinds of things exist you know, there are people out there who do very dark and frightening things. And I think for a lot of people who might consider themselves normal and, you know, not maybe have um, some kind of pull to, you know, go off and murder someone or join a cult, it's very hard to understand. And I think um, something this show does so well is really explore the idea of a cult from many different angles. And in a way that I think kind of makes you understand how and why something like this could exist. And I think the key reason in this story is always um, 
the vulnerability of the people on the ground who are getting pulled into this organization. So the general story of this show is that this family, so these parents and their two teen kids, a boy and a girl, have kind of left the city, they've lost everything, and they are relocating to this little kind of smaller country city. And the father particularly is just very low. He's really fucked up, um, I believe, from memory. He's lost, you know, his money and his livelihood. And they're all trying to start fresh. Um, but some really fucking bad shit happens and the brother gets basically bullied to death. It's fucking dark. It's really horrible. But the idea of that as the beginning of the show is this family are now at crisis point. These parents don't know what to do. And this is when, you know, the people from this cult swan in and they make their offers and, and they offer to love and look after them. They offer them somewhere safe to be. And I think that is the key element of how someone who you think seems very normal could get pulled into something like this. And I think it's about you know, searching for your place in the world and feeling disconnected and not knowing how to live. And I guess being unhappy, you know, if someone comes to you when you're feeling that way and offers you a chance to be safe and loved and you don't have to worry about, you know, maybe material things anymore, like where should I live and what should I do? And I don't know how to be in this world. And I think the show did a really good job of, creating this family that you can imagine maybe two years before was just like any other family that you'd see on the street and then seeing the parents just kind of fall into this really terrifying um, you know pseudo religious organization it just so easily and it's because they're in a place of such grief and unhappiness that they just need something to hold on to but the very like intense thing about it is there's a character called Sungmi which the whole show basically revolves around and she is the girl who you know basically needs saving and I love that the show doesn't start with her already embedded in the cult and then the save me concept of let's try and get her out. Let's try and figure out what to do. The show begins by showing how she ends up in that situation in the first place. And it does such a good job of realistically showing how she gets pulled in. And she really has no other choice. She has nowhere else to go. Her parents are believers, but she never is. But there's still no other choice for her. It's so good, like for a con like a concept and a setup and like such a deep, dark world for exploration and character study. Like it is gold. It is so good. The number two reason to love this K-drama is, I think, the moody atmosphere. Um, I think I kind of bang on about this a lot on this podcast, but I think it's because a lot of the dramas that I end up really, really loving and feeling passionate about and talking about are ones that look very beautiful and, you know, really use... Um, 
you know, the way the drama looks and filters and the way shots are framed to create a very vivid atmosphere. And particularly in a story like this, I mean, this story is almost a horror, but like, I mean, I guess it is. In a lot of ways, it's a horror. It's not a supernatural horror. It doesn't deal with monsters, but it is a horror that is slow and burning and really terrifying in its kind of gritty realism. And I think creating the atmosphere that the show does really, really helps in, you know, really giving you this on edge, menacing, you know, creeped out feeling where you really do feel like you're on the edge and something bad is about to happen. It just envelops you and the whole show throughout it. It's really well done. And I think a lot of that does come down to how the show looks. For one thing, it's set in this very kind of agricultural, kind of rundown city. Um, you know, the, the homes that people live in are very kind of dilapidated and creepy. And, you know, as I always talk about loving, the show really uses natural light instead of artificially lighting things just to make them bright enough to film. Um, I mean, I have no idea about, you know, filming and stuff or if it must, I just figure it must be a lot harder to rely on natural light. And to be filming at, you know, these kind of light blue dawns where everything's filtered blue or at dusk with the sun going down over these mountains. Um, So I think the light is beautiful, how much it just relies on you know, like blue light and shadows through darkness instead of, you know, putting floodlights on everything all the time. So it's very, very gorgeous, but it's gorgeous in a very dirty, gritty way. Like the people you know, I guess, you know, maybe one character is kind of well off and a bit richy rich, but most of them are very, you know, just lower class, average people who, you know, they're not fashionistas. Everyone just seems very gritty and real and more along the poverty line of things. Um, And it really creates a certain feeling to this show that I just think is extraordinary. To kind of um, talk about what I mean, the opening scene of this, I mean, this came out in 2017 and I'm recording this now in 2019. So it's been a long time since I saw this show because I watched it while it was airing. But I can never, ever get out the opening scene of this drama. Like, I can't get it out of my mind, which I think is saying something. Like, it really, really struck me in just, like, setting up the drama perfectly, I suppose. Just this one little opening scene that I was like, now I know what I'm meant to feel about this show. And, you know, I've watched so many shows and there isn't many that I could tell you what the opening shot is of. But in this drama, um, in Save Me, it opens on this kind of dark, winding mountain road. It's so dark. It's like it's nighttime, but there's just that the tiniest hint of blue light enough that you can see the car and you can see, you know, the kind of rising mountains like in black silhouette in the distance and the light lights are on and the car's just winding through this road and the the camera is sort of just behind the car and you see this girl's hand come out as it begins to rain and she's sort of you know when you do that in the car you stick your hand out and you wave your fingers slowly and you feel the wind and you feel the rain and it's such a beautiful moment that starts explaining who sung me this main protagonist is introduces her but also creates this vivid dark mysterious and almost menacing atmosphere where you do feel like something is going to happen it is such a beautiful opening shot it's so moody so that for me is a major reason to watch this show it is 
beautiful in its very dirty, gritty realism. Okay, you'll be glad to know that apparently my cat has um, finished being a menace and she looks like she's going to sleep now, so that's nice. And I don't think she was even uh, too loud, so hopefully it didn't bother anyone. Um, my number three reason to absolutely love this drama is the protagonist, Sungmi. Sungmi is played by an actress called Soya Ji, who this was the first drama I ever saw her in, and she struck me in this. She is beautiful like you just cannot take your eyes off her um I just loved seeing her on the screen but her performance in this is incredible and I imagine it would have been a very taxing performance as well like it's a very reserved and quiet and it's all about the nuances in her face as she experiences you know just hell like one thing after another after another like just beyond the point of what a person should have to endure um, I think she's extraordinary in this. Um, and also Soya Ji, she's been in other dramas, I think the most recent one was Lawless Lawyer, but she's been in quite a few. And I've really, you know, after seeing her in this, I was like, what else is she in? I want to go watch it. So she's probably one of my favorites now. Like if she's bringing out something new, I'm going to go check it out and see if it's something I want to watch. She's just lovely. I like her so much. Um, the character itself sung me. She is, you know, obviously the story is that she's the protagonist. Once she gets sucked into the cult, the idea is about trying to get her out. She's just in so deep and it's so scary. Um, but the thing that I really, really like about her as a protagonist, like I guess in a lot of ways, this drama could have portrayed, you know, a big damsel in distress kind of thing with the woman, you know, the only major young girl character being, you know, a total victim that has to get saved by these four boys who kind of make up this little goofy gang that end up, you know, realizing she's in trouble and start trying to help her. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways that would be kind of not great if the only sort of young woman in this drama is just needing to be saved and that's you know why she exists but I feel like that's not the case at all with maybe a different setup it could have been but Sungmi is such a deep and nuanced and interesting and complex character that you never feel like her only purpose in this show is to be saved you know she's got a lot going on she's also a character that I find really really interesting because Although, like, man, I'm such a fan of girls in dramas um, or, you know, movie stories, just stories in general that are really kick-ass and, you know, maybe they can fight or they're really sassy or they're really, you know, strong in these kind of ways that maybe back in the old days weren't so traditionally associated with women, but we think about that more as a strong woman in modern times. But I quite like also stories that... I guess, I guess the idea for me is, you know, historically women have had to suffer in silence and don't always get the opportunity to be a cool kick-ass girl and don't always get the opportunity to speak their minds and, you know, run around and be wild. And I think that for a character like Sungmi, who's so reserved and really her only weapon against, against this cult is just her not breaking like that's literally it she just endures everything that happens and she can't do anything she can't say anything she's so 
quiet and internal and she just has to live. She has to survive. And I feel like there is so much power in her just in the act of survival. You know, I feel like, you know, someone might look at her character and be like, yeah, she doesn't do much. She just gets saved all the time. And you're like, no, I think she's such a powerful, strong woman character. She, you know, she survives this absolutely horrendous thing and she doesn't lose herself she doesn't lose that spark of who she is so that by the time the drama is over and after all these years of suffering spoiler alert she gets out of the cult um you know it's believable that she'll live a good life that she will savor every moment that she is a free woman and can do what she wants she doesn't lose herself and break and die in- internally die because of these people and that's what's at stake i think i mean the cult is dangerous they are killing people there is a physical danger to their actions like majorly but at the same time i think the biggest danger is the you know internal fight for yourself like do you succumb and just let yourself go and just be part of them or do you hold on to yourself and what Sungmi does that is extraordinary I think is she holds on to herself in the face of just intense suffering on every level and it's very hard to watch but Soyeji is amazing she has such a fragility uh like a frag fragile you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> she, um, you know she's she's so beautiful but so strong and intense as well and I just I loved her I think she's definitely like just a massive huge reason to watch this show So my next reason to love this, my fourth reason is Taekyeon and Taekyeon's character Sangwan. So Taekyeon, I've mentioned before on the podcast, you know, he's an actor that, you know, I don't particularly like super, super love him, but I, I really, I think he's very charming. He's very nice. He's very earnest. Um, and I, I, for some reason, I seem to have watched like freaking most of his dramas, um, not because I'm chasing him out, but he just picks things that are good. Like he, he really does. Um, I think he gets a lot of slack for his acting. I think he's really good in this. He's He's got a lot of weight to his performance. Like he really underpins the drama as this very earnest, kind of straight-laced sort of character. And I feel like he's sort of, you know, everything swirls around him. He kind of pins things down a little bit, I think. So his character, Sung Hwan, um, you know, when Sung Mi and her family first arrive to this new town, she ends up in high school and Sung Hwan and, you know, a bunch of other boys that I'll mention sort of gravitate towards her a bit. She's a bit prickly because she's having a hard time and she has a brother and her brother is getting severely bullied by some douchey people at school. Like it is so like they don't pull any punches with this stuff it's quite hard to watch um but you know probably realistic this shit happens doesn't it um but what happens is the brother kind of gets kind of pushed to the end of his tether and sung me realizes that something's going on he's in trouble and she asks sung Hwan for help she needs him to help her, but he is actually the only son of, you know, a local politician guy who's trying to make it in the world. And he's told someone like, fucking stop getting into trouble. Stop fucking up. Do the right thing. I need you to reflect well on me. And because Sangwan has, you know, daddy issues and he's thinking about that at the moment that Sangmi is desperate for his help, like desperate for him to help her and her brother out of this situation. Sangwan puts his own father first and he walks away. 
and he leaves, you know, Sungmi and her brother on the roof and Sungmi's brother kills himself. Um, it is fucked up. It is so fucked up. So this is the worst mistake that Sung Hwan has ever made in his life. And he's not the kind of boy who is callous or lacks empathy. He just, in the spur of that one moment, like I feel like it would be in his nature to help. Always his nature would be to help someone first. But because he was trying to do right by his dad, he made a decision, I think, in that moment that even goes against who he is as a person. And he suffers for it on such an extreme level forever onwards like this is the worst thing he's ever done in his life and it really is the reason that all these years later when Sungmi has been completely indoctrinated into this cult and he he sees her in this van just for a moment and he sees her and she looks at him and she just mouths the words save me and he just gets so dogged in his pursuit of you know, whether Sungmi is in trouble or not. And if she is in trouble, how can he help her? Because he owes her everything because he fucked up so badly and her brother is dead. And it's not his fault exactly. You know, he wasn't bullying the brother. He wasn't the one who did the thing. Like it was circumstances that were just really shit. But I can see how Sungwan has laid it all on his shoulders. And in a lot of ways, I can see how complex Sungmi's feelings must be towards him as well. If he had stayed, her brother, you know, most most probably a hundred percent would still be alive. So even though it's not Sungwan's fault what happened his actions led directly to the death of her brother and uh, it's a very sort of complex thing between them and I think that's why Sungwan is just so dedicated to figuring out if Sungmi needs help because the way the cult is operated is you know it's very clever that's why they're a cult and they've survived as long as they have they're they're able to cover themselves in every way so that no matter how many people turn up and ask, you know, is Sungmi in trouble? Like, does she need help? Blah, 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 blah. Like, there's never really an opportunity except for this one moment where she looks at Sung Hwang and says, save me. And the rest of the time she doesn't, she's not really, her hands are tied. She can't just walk away. She can't just start screaming. Um, it's really scary how how helpless she is in this place. So I really liked Sung Hwang's I liked his whole storyline. I liked his whole character arc. The only thing that I didn't like was the idea that the drama kind of pushes a romance. Not even, it's not a proper romance, right? It's There's no romance in this drama, but there is the barest hints that there could be between Sung Hwan and Sung Mi. And I think particularly more so on his side, I get that feeling that you know, he does like her. He liked her before this shitty thing happened when they were both teens. Um, but I, I feel like the complexity of this thing that's happened between them with the brother's death is just too big. And I feel like there shouldn't have been any hints of romance after that, because I feel like the point of Sung Hwan's journey as a character is to be forgiven by Sung Mi, for her to just forgive him so he can forgive himself for this thing that he's done or this thing he decided not to do more realistically um and I think that that would have been enough as a really good character journey um and a character development kind of thing and I, I feel like the romance it's only barely hinted at but even then I felt like it was shoehorned in a little bit because I just don't I can't wrap my head around why Sung Mi 
would entertain those kind of feelings towards him. I think it would be too hard and too complex in her situation, but I can see how she would be grateful to him and him so doggedly pursuing the idea of saving her would be enough for her to finally forgive him for this past issue that's happened. My number five reason to adore this drama is the character Dong Cho, who is played by the actor Wu Do Hwan. <laughs> So I've mentioned before on this podcast that I always go for the tragic poor boys who are poverty stricken and have tragic lives and backstories um, over, you know, the rich boys with daddy issues. So this drama is no different. Taekyeon's character, Sang Hwan, um, you know, he's a rich boy with daddy issues and Wu Do Hwan's character, Dong Chol, is a poverty stricken, tragic boy. Um, also, he's played by Wu Do Hwan, who is you know, awesome. But anyway, I'm going to talk about Dong Cho. So Dong Cho is basically Sung Hwan's best friend. And, you know, when they all meet Sung Mi as teens, he has to the same level that Sung Hwan does, you know, he likes her. They both just like her. Um, and I guess, you know, she's a new transfer student and she's really pretty and she's from the city. So she's something different and nice. Um, but what happens is Sung Mi and her brother are on that roof. And in that moment that Sung Hwan decides to choose his father and his father's reputation and not help Sung Mi and her brother, he walks away and Dong Chol chooses to stay. So he stays he gets into, you know, a really bloody fist fight with all these dudes trying to protect Sung Mi, trying to help her brother. And the brother dies and the boys who do it get off scot-free because they're all rich or whatever. They have connections. And Dong Chol is just devastated. Like he is ruined over this, like completely fucked up. And he makes the biggest mistake of his life when he's like, he's sitting on the pavement and he's having a smoke. And one of these dudes walks by and he's in a happy mood. You know, this bully guy's doing well in his life. And Dong Chol just flips out and he fucking, he attacks this guy, but things get really out of hand. Half of it's his fault because he, you know, he did it, but half of it's not. And this boy that he attacks, um, basically, I can't really remember now. It's been a while. I don't think he dies, but he, you know, gets really, really fucked up. And I'm pretty sure he like, I don't know, presses charges or something. Anyway, I can't fully remember, but it's all completely fucked and really depressing and intense. And Dong Chol ends up going to prison. And so the drama skips forward. Dong Chol spends a couple of years locked away. Sung Hwan goes off to university in the city and Sung Mi, it's so before the flash forward, there is the most amazing scene. And it's the point where, you know, Sung Mi's family have fully, fully entered this new world. They've just They've made their decision. This is their new life. They're going to join this, you know, religious organization. And there's this moment where Sungmi stands at the bottom of the stairs to this half finished church out in the middle of the countryside, completely isolated. And her family follow, you know, all the cult people inside the church. And the church has all these like tarps hanging over it. And it's only half constructed and it's really dark and it looks fucking creepy as fuck. And Sungmi just stands there at the bottom of the stairs, looks up at the church, and there is literally nowhere else for her to go. And she knows what's in there. She knows what this place is truly like. 
and she just has to walk through those doors anyway. And that's like the end, I guess, of the first section of the drama before the flash forward, which is when Sung Hwan, you know, realizes years later that, you know, she might be in a spot of trouble and starts trying to organize his friends to go and help her. It is such a powerful moment. And I really loved the idea of the flash forward. Um, when I watched this drama, I didn't really expect it, you know. I think I just thought, oh, she'll just be in the cult and the whole drama will be about getting her out. But the whole setup that showed how she gets her in the first place um, was really good. And it also creates this huge conflict, particularly between the main two boys, Sung Hwan and Dong Chol. There's two other guys, too, who are just, you know, very sweet and awesome characters, but much more like sidelined Um but, you know, these boys were all, all four of them are best friends. But this thing that happens where Sang Hwan decides not to help and gets off scot-free and Dong Chol decides to do the right thing and ends up in fucking prison, you know, it creates a huge fucking conflict that is really good, really well set up. Um, but, you know, <laughs> depressing. <laughs> My number six reason to love Save Me is Wu Do Hwan. Uh, this is the first drama that I ever saw this actor in and he is like an insane standout in this role. And I think, you know, pretty much everyone who's watched this, I've seen in the comments and stuff that, you know, it's just one of those kind of star making performances. I think he's so noticeable in this show. He really, you know, he, He's a breakout star of it. Um, <laughs> and it's not just because he's pretty, <laughs> but he is, you know, he's super pretty. Um, he is also, I'm watching him at the moment in the currently airing uh, historical kind of Goyo era drama, which is called My Country. And I've seen him in, I think I saw him in two other shows after, you know, after he was in Save Me. So he's really up and coming. Um, but I also think he's just he's a freaking extraordinary actor he's so good um particularly at playing this kind of really damaged character like I think I've got a soft spot for these kind of characters anyway like and I think it's what really made me love Jisoo and all his like early roles as well you know like anyone who's just sort of the underdog who's poverty stricken or who's getting bashed up by their dad or you know life is just bashing them up in general like I can't help it you know I always feel really kind of a lot of empathy for those kind of characters particularly when they're you know really good looking tragic boys <laughs> so I guess I have a type not in real life though I'm totally not into that in real life at all um, but in the dramas yes it totally works so I think Wudo Hwan is incredible in this and I think you know if you've watched it I presume that you would probably agree with that My number seven reason to adore Save Me is the villains. The villains in this are extraordinary and there is a lot of them and they're kind of like different villainous levels. But I think it's also, I think the show or the story uses the villains um, as different kind of entry points to exploring the idea of a cult and what kind of people are, you know, kind of sucked towards it from the very center person who is a character called Junkie, who is played by the actor Cho Song Ha, who's one of these, you know, older dudes who's in every sagok ever and every drama ever. And I have to say, I don't love this actor particularly. I always kind of think he doesn't move his face a lot. And in a lot of the sagoks particularly, I don't enjoy his performances. But then it's like in this drama, I kind of forgot it was him. Like, I'm, you know, and yes, he's got peroxide white hair and eyebrows and he looks insane in a white suit. But, um, 
I think maybe maybe he is a really good actor because I completely disassociate dis- this role with this actor. I didn't even feel like it's the same man that I've seen before. He is very good in this. He is, you know, he's outwardly charming, but what he is is sleazy and terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But I guess what interests me is with the different villains is whether they you know, their belief. Do they believe in the cult? Are they there because they believe in the leader um, and and the, the promises that he's making them about, you know, the afterlife and, you know, how wonderful everything's going to be? Or are they there because they're opportunist? So my impression is the leader guy, John Key. I think in some ways he is a believer in his own myth. He's egotistical. But then there are moments where, you know, Sungmi sees that. I think, I can't even remember now, but I think he like lights his hand on fire to show off how, you know, magical he is or something. And she sees later that, you know, he's got some like weird jelly shit that he puts over him so that, you know, it doesn't burn him when he touches the flame or whatever it is that he fucking did. And so there's moments are very, you know, you can tell that he, he understands he's mortal, you know, he, he doesn't completely believe he's untouchable or, so it's a very, very interesting balance with him where I think he half believes his own lies and his own story. And, you know, he's almost charmed himself into, you know, being part of this cult, um, this larger than life presence that he's built for himself. But I think even though he's aware that some of it is lies, I think he's able to believe that he's God in a lot of ways, which is, you know, that's a, a fascinating character to have these two kind of opposing beliefs in his own mind at the same time. The other kind of main villains is a guy called Wante, who is, he's kind of like a lackey. Um, you know, he's the thug that does a lot of the, the dirty work when they need it. Um, and he is the kind of guy who puts on a big charming smile and knows how to charm all the old ladies and knows how to get everyone to join his cult. But he's a complete opportunist. He thinks it's all bullshit and he's there for money because, you know, obviously when you join a cult, who do you give all your assets to? Like you sell your house, who do you give the money to? You give it to the fucking cult. So this guy is completely skimming money. He's stealing money. He's he's money. That's what he's into. And what an interesting kind of character I guess you know he's a complete con man he doesn't believe in any of it and he in fact follows everything that the great leader says does everything that this great leader wants him to but at heart he believes that that guy's a complete chump he knows he's a fool and Wante is just choosing to be there because he's opportunist and he knows what he will get I think it's very interesting so the next uh, sort of villain character is a woman called Unsil. So Unsil is, I guess she embodies the idea of the true believer. She gets very, very, like, I think in a lot of ways she's in love with Junkie, who's the leader, but I don't know if she's in love with him. She's in love with the idea of maybe standing next to him, sharing some of that glory but she seems very devoted to the actual cause to actually believing in the structure of this cult and the promises you know really truly believing it but she gets very very bitter when Sungmi turns up because obviously you know Junkie the leader is this horrible disgusting old dude who just wants to marry a super hot young lady and Sungmi is super hot and young so he's got his eye on her to be his special you know cult bride or whatever the fuck and Unsil is not happy about it because I guess maybe that tarnishes the leader a little bit in her eyes but even more than that I think it's a level of jealousy 
Um, Ansel is very, very interesting because when the drama finishes, she, you know, she walks away from the cult at the end. And we see, you know, in a flash forward that she sort of starts her own thing, you know, and I think she's the kind of person that either that needs this community of devotion and, you know, she's always going to kind of have the blinders on and not accept the reality that these you know that this thing isn't real so I thought she was a very interesting sort of entry point into the idea of a cult and the different kinds of people that might be drawn towards it the last character I'll talk about he's not really a villain but I do feel like he's a bit of a villain so his name is Juho but basically this is Sungmi's dad so Sungmi's dad has, you know, he's fucked up, he's moved everyone to the countryside and things have gotten worse, his son has died, his wife has gone completely bonkers, like with grief, she just cannot handle it and is basically in a special cult hospital at this point, getting jabbed up with, you know, painkillers or whatever, but basically she's turned into, you know, kind of... She's not really there anymore in her own mind at all. And at first you think it's because of grief. And then after a while you start to think that maybe it's because they're injecting her with a lot of stuff all the time. The dad, Sungmi's dad, is one of the most terrifying characters because he is a complete and utter believer in the cause to the point that he's willing to give his, his daughter to marriage to this old peroxide dude who is clearly you know a huge fraud from the outside it's so obvious but to him it is not and I mean this is real this is how these things go like if it was obvious to everyone that these people were frauds then cults wouldn't have so many members and they wouldn't be able to do the things that they've done you know it seems so crazy from the outside but I guess it's not you know and I think the good thing that they did with Sungmi's dad is explain how he got to the point where he became a believer and I think for me, it's because if he can believe in this thing and in the idea that he can, you know, save his daughter and save his son and save his wife through his belief of this cult, he doesn't have to feel guilty and solely responsible for fucking up his entire family's lives. You know, it's a way of absolving himself from, you know, what he perceives to be his sins, I suppose. And I think probably, you know, he was very vulnerable and that's how he got sucked in. Um, and I think probably that's what happens to a lot of people you know I think people who live healthy happy lives who have a lot of love in their life probably aren't going to be as attracted to the idea of a cult as someone who is broken and damaged and vulnerable so I really like the fact that they showed how low Sungmi's dad got to a point where you feel a lot of empathy for him and you feel very sorry for him and you feel very scared about the fact that this cult is circling around him and clearly trying to recruit him. But by the end of the drama, you fucking hate his guts with everything inside you and he is such a believer like he's got blinkers on he's just compartmentalizing everything because he wants to save his own heart and the only way to save it is to lie to himself that the only thing that's real is this cult because otherwise he has to accept the truth and the truth is that he is a fuck up like wholly and completely so I think it's you know they're all such interesting characters who are very you know developed in you know different degrees and to different levels and at different points slowly throughout the drama but I, I really like you know the cult itself almost is its own character and it has all these sort of offshoots these characters that are connected to it that give you insight into what it would be like and I don't know I found that very very fascinating and very well done.
Number eight. My gosh, the romance that almost was. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that there is, you know, there is like the hint of some sort of feelings, particularly on Sung Hwan's side towards Sung Mi. Um, and, you know, at the beginning, it kind of sets up a bit of a love triangle vibe um, between the two boys, Dong Chol and Sung Hwan, to, towards Sung Mi in their high school years. And as they all sort of reconnect when they're older, um, you know, it's only ever really hinted. This isn't a romantic drama. There's no real romance. Yet at the same time, I got really confused when I watched this because for three quarters of the drama, in the same way that there is a hint of romance, you know, between Sung, Sung Hwan and Sung Mi, there is also, you know, a very strong hint that Dong Chol obviously likes Sung Mi. And there is more of a hint that Sung Mi actually likes Dong Chol than I think Sung Hwan. She's obviously you know, got her own things going on with Sung Hwan and this tentative relationship forming, but I never got the impression on her side that it was romantic. And yet I did get the impression, um, you know, on the side with Dong Chol that there was something there, some feelings on her side as well as on his. And I don't think this is just me like <laughs> loving romance and trying to like, you know, extract it from a story where it doesn't exist. I feel like the, there were particular beats in the story that were written there purposely to make us feel that Sung Mi had feelings towards Dong Chol. Um, particularly, I'm thinking of this scene where she sees him for the first time after all these years and she knows he's been in prison and she knows he went to prison for her and, you know, she hasn't seen him. She hasn't had a chance because she went and joined that cult and shit. But um, there's this moment where they're all her and the other boys, including Sang Hwang, are all sort of standing around and they're waiting for Dong Chol and he walks towards them. And there is this moment where, you know, the drama slows down and plays a particular type of music and does a close up of, you know, Sang Mi's face as she watches him approach. And it's a bit, it feels like a moment, you know, it really feels like a powerful moment that, you know, if the drama's not trying to tell us something about what's going on inside Sung Mi internally, then I don't understand why the moment is there. So I feel like there was a really, there was connection, there was something happening. And then about three quarters of the way through the drama, it was very odd. It just felt brushed aside or just even wiped away like it hadn't been there, like they hadn't been setting this thing up very, very subtly. Um, but it was definitely there as a thread that was woven through this story. So Dong Chol, he is the one who in the end actually allows himself to get recruited into the cult. Um, he pretends to be, you know, a really goofy doofus and join the cult and be a bit of an idiot. But he's there to try and, you know, find out if Sung Mi's okay and talk to her and help her. And obviously he's got all the other boys behind him, like on the outside, telling him what to do and to help. Um, and it was just really frustrating that I felt like Dong Chol sacrificed everything in his life to to help Sung Mi you know at every moment even from the beginning when he went to prison to try and help her and her brother and yet at the end even though Dong Chol like you know he fucking gets hit in the face with a shovel and by the end scene you know he's got blood dripping all over him and Sung Mi's standing next to him and she just looks at Sung Hwan and she's like Sung Hwan thank you for saving me and I'm like what dude like one thing, all four of them saved you. And the other thing, Dong Chol just got hit in the fucking face by a shovel and you're saying thank you to the other guy, which, you know, the other guy did a lot of things too. But I just, I just didn't understand why the drama spent so long subtly setting up a 
a kind of connection between Sungmi and Dongchol only to absolutely wipe it away at the end and kind of pretend, I guess, with no setup that Sungmi would be interested in Sunghwan. It was just really fucking weird. Um, I know this is my 10 things to love, so you're probably wondering why I've brought this up in something to love, but the truth was while watching the drama, the nuances of these very burgeoning, tiny, tentative connections were gold. Like, they are so addictive. Like, I was watching this drama just waiting for these little moments. Like, it was so well done. And the thing that frustrated me was just really that there was no payoff to it at the end. But the way that it was threaded through the story was just extraordinary I think it was done so well in such a tentative quiet slow way that really threaded you along and made you want to know um, and even though I was kind of disappointed with the end I felt that particularly the last scene you know where you know the whole group uh, kind of go to say goodbye to Sung Hwan because he's going off to army and Sung Mi's just like you know she's only got eyes for Sung Hwan and she doesn't even like acknowledge the other dudes and you know Dong Chol has done all this shit for her and they, they don't even have even a moment where they look at each other or she says thank you or anything so it just felt like a very strange setup with no payoff um, but in saying that the setup was fucking gold it was so good number nine reason for loving this show is kind of a weird one there is some side characters in this and to be honest there is quite a few storylines not quite a few but some very very sidelined characters and storylines that kind of feel like they're weaving into the story and going somewhere but in the end I think kind of do feel like loose threads and I can only imagine that the webtoon had you know very solid kind of endings for these characters but in the drama in the end they really had to just focus on the main storyline and giving a satisfying conclusion to the main cult drama which they very much so pull off um, but because of that there are some very interesting side characters that get a little bit of screen time and feel like quite weighty as characters and then they just sort of taper off and I'm still not exactly sure how they fit in fully but also I kind of loved them um there's a very dirty detective who's um you know this guy called Kung Su and I have no idea what he was doing except that he was just very like gritty a little bit charming he had a very like wolfish grin and he was a bit scary but also kind of good as well like it was he's it was a very interesting compelling character there was another character I really liked um apparently his name was Jun Gu I don't know um but he was this like you know these petty gangsters that you always see in these dramas these kind of lower class dudes with their weird Hawaiian shirts and you know usually country accents and just really tough and blustery and the shot where we first like there's this scene where we first get introduced to this you know lowly gangster guy um, because, oh gosh, he works in, you know, this kind of shitty hostess bar with Dong Chol. Because, man, it's so sad. Dong Chol, when he gets out of prison, he obviously can't fucking get a job. And he ends up, like, you know, working at this hostess place, just cleaning up the floors. And it's, oh, it's depressing and amazing and just, like, makes me want to hug him, basically. Um, but anyway, so this gangster, he has this really interesting introduction where he first slowly walks into this, like, dark room with neon lights and he just dances for fucking ages you just watch this dude dancing around and it's like 
I don't understand it. I don't understand why these side characters were given so much time. And yet I think like the performance of it was very mesmerizing and strange and surreal. And I was just there for it. It was really weird. Um, I found it all to be very compelling. Maybe even just the characters themselves to be very compelling, even if I don't quite understand how their storylines ended up <laughs> kind of fitting. Um, but I really, really liked them. I thought they were really good. And my final reason, my number 10 reason to love this Korean drama, Save Me, is how dark it is willing to get. And I do not mean the natural lighting. <laughs> Um, this story, you know, I, I feel like because it is, you know, it's not based on supernatural horror. This is like reality horror, the horror of what can happen in life, what humans are capable of doing. And I feel like the story was willing to be very, very dark. And you get that from the very beginning with what happens with Sungmi's brother and the bullying and everything that happens with that storyline it's a real shock to the system it's really really intense it's very very distressing but i think it's you know it's a real slap in the face but it's a welcome to this drama this is what you're watching like um be prepared and it really doesn't the story really doesn't shy away from from that kind of darkness for the rest of it and i think that that works really really well like I don't want to see a sugar-coated version of a cult story or a story about cults like cults are terrifying like it is true horror and that is I think what this story needed to be and I think it embraced it you know it went for it and I really really loved that it wasn't afraid I think probably a lot of that has to do with you know it's an OCN drama and they just seem to be well, I guess they're very well known for being beautifully shot and being gritty, you know, being very dark and be willing to go, uh, yeah, a lot darker than maybe some of the other kind of stations and stuff. Um, but I freaking love this drama. It is so, so, so good. Um, like I said, I, I think that there are, there's, you know, in person, Personally, my own taste, I think there was a missed opportunity with Dong Chol and Sung Mi. I didn't need a romance, like a big romance. I just needed, I needed those hints that were laid just to continue to the end. Um, and like I said as well, there are some loose threads. Uh, I didn't really mind it when I was watching it. But if you're like someone who's like very, very, very plot centric rather than emotion centric, um, that might bother you. You might be like, hey, why was that gangster dancing in that? place for like half an hour why did I watch him do that because I don't get it but um for my, me personally I'm I'm very much more interested in emotional like development and through stories and I think emotionally this show feels fucking satisfying it is so good and you know in saying that all the main storylines are certainly given endings and satisfying conclusions um, I have feel really really strongly that I would have loved you know, just a slightly different end scene, you know, maybe I would have just, I would have fucking loved it if Sung Mi had said goodbye to Sung Hwan when he went off to army, but I couldn't help but think, you know, Sung Mi and her mother have been part of this cult for quite a few years, like, and you know, when Sung Mi rocks up to say goodbye to Sung Hwan when he goes to army and she's wearing this really cool, nice, cute outfit, and I'm like, 
but where does she live and why can she afford clothes? Like this drama has this realism to it about poverty. You know, Dong Chol gets out of prison and his grandma's dead and his house is a hovel and, you know, he's having a hard time getting a job. And there's a realism to that that didn't extend just to the epilogue scene where Sung Mi, I believe, 100% that she would be able to be a bright, happy person after her experiences. I think she's the type of character that would grasp life with both hands and live to the fullest. But I don't know where she got all that money from for her and her mum to be so chirpy and happy, you know. So I kind of wished that that sense of gritty realism had continued. And I wish that um, after they got out of the cult, that Sung Mi and her mum, having nowhere else to live, had gone home with Dong Chol. He's the only character who lives by himself. He has a big house. Yeah, it's a dilapidated piece of shit, but that's fine. And, you know, he could have offered for them to stay there until they got on their feet. And then, you know, I would have just loved that as an ending. And not for Dong Chol and Sung Mi to get together on screen, but just to have that idea that that might happen in the future when she has gotten over the shit that she's just been through where she just was, you know, being forced to get married to this really old peroxide dude. Like the girl needs some time, but I feel like when she's had that time, her and Dong Chol are just so good together. Like just so good. They've both been through these intense traumas and both of them want to live now. And I think that they would be able to understand each other in a way that I feel if either of them just met other people randomly outside, um, I don't know if those people would be able to understand the things that they've been through in the way that they could for each other. But maybe that's just the romantic in me talking. I don't know. Either way, if you haven't watched Save Me, um, freaking go check out this Korean drama. It is so good. It's so deep and dark and beautiful and fucking disturbing. So now it's time for my random thing of the week. Uh, <laughs> so I just wanted to mention, like, I've watched a lot of dramas um, and I've noticed in a lot of the contemporary K-dramas, you know, whenever you have, like, you know, the hot male character or whatever and he's, you know, he's a chebol or he's really richy rich or he's a CEO or, you know, he's an actor. And have you noticed that when you get to go see inside, like, these characters' homes, these big, rich, swanky apartments and stuff, they always have these fucking enormous, huge, like, framed photographs of themselves on the walls? Like, you know, maybe above the spare bed or above their own bed? And I'm slightly fascinated by this. I cannot think of anything that I would like less than having a huge framed photo of myself above my guest bed, if I had a guest bed. Or, you know, above my own bed. Like, isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> I kind of think it's kind of weird. I don't know. I think there's um something very interesting about K-dramas, I guess... You know that whole thing about you should be modest, like you shouldn't kind of talk yourself up and you shouldn't say that you're good looking and, you know, the whole idea of being humble, I suppose. And I find it really interesting when I watch K-dramas and I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but, you know, everyone will be like to the boys, like, you're so beautiful, you're so good looking, you're so good looking. And, and then the guys themselves... And you know what? Yeah, they are good looking. It's true. They are. But then they'll also be saying, oh, I'm so good looking, you know, like, oh, 
you know, you can't believe that you're hanging out with someone as good looking as me. And I was like, wow, like it's true, but you shouldn't say it, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what's going on, but I, I can kind of deal with them saying how good looking they are because I always feel like it's a little bit tongue in cheek. It's a little bit of a joke, even though, you know, they know it's true. But the huge photo in your own house thing, is <laughs> I feel like that's taking it a bit too far. Like the kind of... um. Yeah, self-love. I think that's taking it just a little bit too far. Very interesting, though. Um, I'd be interested to hear if anyone else has thoughts on that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks it's weird. Something that I am loving this week. Okay, so I've mentioned before I'm an author, so I read a lot of books. So maybe, unfortunately for you, or exciting for you, I don't know. I probably, you know... Sometimes the things that I love every week are quite often books. Um, this week is no different. I finished reading a book this week called At Dusk. It is by um, a writer called Huang Sokyong. So this book has been translated from Korean into English. It is not the kind of book I would ever normally read. I'm very much into like young adult fiction, I guess, is what I like to read. And also I love to read historical fiction. This book is a literary novel and it is a very bleak but extraordinarily moving kind of reflection of the world like a reflection of the past and of memories but just this idea you know that uh, it sounds so bleak but you know you just get old and then you either regret parts of your life or you don't or you're happy or you're not and so little of it is sort of under control you know and and how vastly the world around us changes all the time I it's really hard to describe why I loved this book so much but I did I found it profoundly moving it I finished reading it and I just sat there and like stared at it in my hands and it just sent such a, like a feeling settling over my skin and I guess that's what literary fiction is kind of meant to do you know I found the start of the book very odd and meandering and I couldn't really figure out what what its purpose was what the purpose of the story is. You know, I think they say a lot um, in writing circles about, you know, when you begin writing a book, the idea is that you provide a promise to your reader straight away on what kind of story that you are presenting them. So within the first chapter, they should they should know what the story feels like or what you're going to drive towards or kind of have a promise of the idea of, you know, if there's going to be action or adventure or romance or danger or like, what is the book? You want to make that very clear to your reader very quickly. Um, and, you know, this is the kind of rules that they teach you if you're, you're writing novels. Um, and I find it really interesting. I think literary fiction is almost a beast of its own and it operates on a whole different set of rules or maybe it doesn't have any rules. I don't know. This book started out very meandery. It was just, it's about an old man just sort of reflecting on his past. And each chapter was sort of alternating between this old guy talking about his past and this much younger woman talking about her present. And, you know, he's talking about all the struggles he's had in the past and she's talking about the struggles she's having in the present, mainly around you know, making a living and working really hard to just survive. It's a book that's very much about the daily grind. And I don't know why it was so beautiful, but it is. Um, and the book in the end, you know, these two storylines come together and they connect in a way that just kind of 
gut punched me and I found so moving that it made me cry. I don't know, it had such a strong theme and message and was a really extraordinarily beautiful book. I know it's winning and been long listed for a lot of awards and is doing very well. So if that sounds like your kind of book, um, it's a very quick read. It's very short. It's called At Dusk and it's by Huang Sok Yong. Um, I guess I really recommend it. Um, if you're also interested in Korea, which maybe you are since you're listening to this podcast, I certainly am. It's a very interesting portrait of career and a reflection on Korea's more modern history since the Korean War and a lot of things that I had heard about or knew little bits about but a lot of things that I didn't um you know just the kind of the poverty after the Korean War and then the construction boom and the corruption and almost dictatorships and you know it's very fascinating if you're interested in Korea I think as well as maybe just as a story it's it's extraordinarily beautiful (laughs) 